Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. A good day to truth and movies. Theron stars and Theron script too in Atomic Blonde. We ask, will it bomb? Also, Sheet Gets Real in A Ghost Story, David Lowry's haunting meditation on time, bereavement and pie. And what's this? Only Mr Lowry himself popping in to the show to set up this week's film club, Under the Skin. It's Truth and Movies, a Little White Lies podcast. On your Truth and Movies this week, David Jenkins... Hi. Hi, David. And Adam Woodward. Hello. All right. When's David Lowry getting here? Soon. He's on, in a cab, I think, on his way. Is he? Over. That's so exciting. Yeah, yeah. What's the biggest, like, director? You've done Chris Nolan, haven't you? Yeah. yeah. What, what do you mean by done? Yeah, in the sense that you've met him uh, and interfaced, you know, oh, intellectually yeah. and, and shared ideas and maybe inspired him a little bit. What about you, Adam? What's the biggest name you've sat in, across a... A mic from not not a directing name, but mm. I've interviewed Arnold Schwarzenegger <gasps> and more excitingly Kermit the Frog. No, oh yeah, that's big actually too. And mm. how did that work? Well, I, I uh, went to the hotel in yeah. uh, in central London where they were doing interviews, right? And uh, waited in the sort of press pen area, and then went in and sat down and spoke to him. And across the table from you was Kermit the Frog. He was sat as close to me as you are now. Really. When you came in the room, was he like playing with his smartphone and just wouldn't make eye contact with you? Actually, what was fascinating was that Kermit is actually operated by no. a man no. Stop. Who, who's a sort of lovely, crusty hippie type. And he was sat on the floor with Kermit above him, you know, operating him. And, and I, so I came in and started speaking. The guy's name Steve. I started speaking to Steve. And then the second the, the PR gave us the cue to start the interview, he suddenly sprang into life, Kermit, and suddenly I wasn't talking to Steve anymore, I was speaking to Kermit. It was, it was bizarre. I'm quite shocked at the notion that we would basically rupture the omotar over the fact that Kermit's actually operated by a, a, a hippie fella. You're all right with that, aren't you? We're a grown-up thing. I quite like the idea of us actually just pretending that Kermit exists. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, he does. Yeah. Uh, that's quite exciting. Hey, listen, if you'd like to sit across the room with some really famous people in film, you can join us at the London Podcast Festival, Hey. Wow. Yeah. Uh, it's Sunday the 17th of September, our bit. 9.30 we're going to be there in the evening at King's Place in sunny London town. And tickets are available from the King's Place website. Someone's already been in, t in touch with me over Twitter saying they've bought tickets purely so they can make disparaging remarks about Terence Malick in my presence. Oh. So, you know, there's... Why would you go off on one? Well... As, I don't think I will, but, right. you know, there'll be stern-ish words Right, they're coming response. to the, the festival with Malika Forthought. In, ah, yeah. Very, very good. Listeners, if you want to get in touch, uh, you can email us 
at truth and well the address is truth and movies at tcolondon.com tweet david at lw lies on the twitter or facebook which is the little white lies magazine page uh, adam if you'd like to roll those drums we'll get on to our first film atomic blonde this life and someday it's going to get me killed but not today Lorraine Broughton expert in intelligence collection and hand-to-hand combat Agent Gascoigne was killed last night had an atomic bomb of information. Find out who's hunting our operatives and trust no one. Yep, soundtrack courtesy of Now That's What I Call Obvious 80s Hits. It is Atomic Blonde, based on a 2012 graphic novel which is called The Coldest City, directed by David Leach, a former stuntman and co-director from the Keanu Reeves breakout hit John Wick. It features Shelley's Theron as an ice-cold undercover MI6 agent sent to Berlin during the Cold War to investigate the cold-blooded murder of a fellow agent. And, yeah, you just heard this in the trailer, haven't you? Recover a list of missing agents. I think it looks like Elton John's Nikita video, directed by Thierry Mugler. And I noticed that the Little White Lies uh, review took a similar line. What did you think, David? Yeah, I think... I would probably concur on those lines as well. I'm not sure I quite get your reference points there, your Elton John promo video. Yeah. I've not partaken in that. Did it not look like an 80s music video to you? It looked like a pastiche 80s music video made now and sort of desperately mining that kind of ironic nostalgia quality. Um, Literally ice cold Mm. in that she is introduced slipping into an ice bath to uh, cool off all uh, her body which is covered in bruises mm. and the film is essentially discovering how she got all those bruises and it's told in a series of flashbacks to the year 1989 where the Berlin Wall is on the cusp of coming down. There's a plot that she needs to foil whereby agents' names are going to be released. And spy stuff. Sp- the, you, you're kind of honest-to-goodness spy, sub carré kind of spy stuff. Very, very sort of mundane, mm. obvious stuff for a lot of it. And it, it's like, wow, imagine a John le Carré boring spy movie, but with a supermodel instead of an old guy with a, with a bowler hat, you know. Yeah, it didn't do much for me. A bit of a le carry-on. Indeed. Yeah. Adam, did you like it? Uh, are we calling this Jane Wick, by the way? Oh, think, that's an interesting I think we show. should, yeah. OK. Well, I think there's a big difference between this and John Wick. Well, there is a big difference because John Wick, the character, mm. is introduced with a very clear motivation for what he does in the rest of the film. And I think because uh, Charlie Stone's character, her motivation is sort of... Well, there's a lot of duplicitous actions happening uh, on her part and the part of others in the film. And... Yeah, it kind of teases you along and goes down various uh, dark back alleys and I found it a little bit kind of frustrating. There's some good action set pieces, especially in in the middle. There's an amazing uh, kind of one take. Uh, Always one of those scenes which is made to look like it was done in one take but probably was actually um, pieced together in post. But yeah, it's an amazing fight uh, on a stairwell. And uh, Shai Theron is, is, I mean, she's really put through her paces in in this and Mm. it's a pretty exhilarating uh, scene that. She trained... with Kuanu, apparently, Kuanu. to prepare for this film, from Kuanu Reeves. Oh, yeah. 
So that's another time with the whole John Wick thing. You're absolutely right. I mean, some of the action is great. Is there a character in this film that you actually care about? And is that the big difference with John Wick? Even though John Wick doesn't say a lot, him being Kwanu, he's got that kind of haunted ex- existential despair, you know, because of his dog and that, behind that furrowed brow as he goes around offing people. Whereas Charlize Theron, the best woman in the world, all she does is just pout, look sour and sashay around Berlin like she's on a catwalk. Yeah, I agree with that. And I think there's not only not really a character to like, but, you know, it's it's quite a nasty film in a lot of ways. And it, when the characters that you are supposed to like are dispatched, you don't really feel anything for it, mm. uh, for them. And and there's one particular scene where someone sort of drowns in a car and the camera really lingers on, on their face as they're kind of gasping for their, their final breaths. And, yeah, I just thought it was quite a gratuitous, slightly unnecessary moment, that. Mm-hmm. I thought that... The big sort of set piece in the middle, the big long take where there's this endless procession of guys who... It, it, there's not a lot of guys. It's just yeah, it's, a, it's a few guys who just won't stay down. Mm. And when you kind of get to that point where you realise, oh, yeah, this is going to be filmed in one long tracking shot or master shot or whatever it is, it, I just felt so like, oh, God, this feels so such an obvious move for a film like this, mm. you know? What can we do to make this feel a little bit more, a little bit more fun, a little bit more cinematic? Almost give people like us a hook to to write about or to talk about, which I'm, which I've fallen for. Right. But and I think that it feels like such an empty gesture, cinematically speaking. Interesting. And how do you feel about the other hook, if you like, that they've thrown us, which Charlize has been quite big on in her in her publicity for this film, which is the, the kind of the sapphic angle. The guys don't go down easily in this film, but she does. Yes, indeed. Um, to be honest, I thought it was like gratuitous and it was very like a cosmetic element mm. of the film rather than any... I mean, there's a tiny, tiny element where you kind of think, is she doing it for king and country kind of thing? Or is there actually a bond there? And even in the end, you kind of find out that there actually isn't really any depth to it and it's just purely a kind of bit of mid-film eye candy well, if you know, eye candy, if that's your kind of thing, I guess. Mm. But. Are, we, are we being unnecessarily harsh on what is essentially a kind of throwaway action thriller? Uh, I don't think so. I think it's competently made mm. and put together uh, and certainly not the worst or most offensive action film I've seen this year uh, or in recent years. But, yeah, it's just something... It's one of those films that it desperately wants you to think it's cool and when mm. really it's anything but. And you mentioned earlier referencing the, the kind of 80s cuts which are on the soundtrack. And, yeah, it just feels very obvious, a lot of the choices they make here. Um, I just think it's an unexceptional film. What, what about James McAvoy? I like him as an actor, but mm. not in these kinds of roles where he's he's very sneery and excessive and kind of just over the top, I guess. Um, right. Yeah, I found him quite insufferable, actually. I think when he when he's doing these kind of roles, he kind of defaults to sort of big scenery chewing, and I just find it a bit irritating. Really, to be but okay. also one of the things about this film is that a kind of personal test I have for movies, actually, which it fails on, is that it includes the song "London Calling" by The Clash on the soundtrack in a scene where someone is walking through London. Everyone's going to have their own personal list of sort of cinematic no-nos, like mini triggers that when you see them, they just sort of jerk you back in your seat. When that happens in a film for me, that it's a write-off. Right. Soundtrack-wise, it's curious because they don't have Atomic by Blondie. They don't have anything by Berlin or Drowning in Berlin, which would have been perfect for one scene. Yeah, McAvoy in his kind of muscled-up singlet appearance is a little bit... 
It's um, a bit Del Boy. I thought a bit Tom Hardy light, but yeah. maybe Del Boy's a better comparison. Are we worried about the fact that the director, David Leach, is in place to do Deadpool 2? If I was a Deadpool fan... Were you not a fan of the first Deadpool? No. If I was, I think I would be... You guys, you didn't like Deadpool. My, my anticipation would be unmoved by this okay. news, but just because I think he's, All right, he's I a quite like... stylistic director and he'll yeah. probably do a fine job. Really? And make another terrible film. You thought Deadpool was terrible? Ditto. I thought it was the end wow. of humanity. I th- uh, it was just the the uh, the pit, absolute pits. Wow, listeners, I urge you to get in touch and tell me that I'm not going crazy here. Maybe we need to do an entire episode just about Deadpool, the case for and against. Oh, we should, yeah. All right. Uh, can I not be involved in that? <laughs> can, I, can I be uh, in an, in another time zone? I must say, I, I did watch like it when we do our David Larry bit in, in a bit. In, in, You're going to hide yeah. under the table. <laughs> indeed, yes. Yeah. Going back to uh, Atomic Blonde, oh, yeah. if I may, uh, I'd, I'd be fascinated to read The Coldest City, the graphic novel on which this is based, because of the of the setting that this film takes, which is the the kind of Berlin Wall falling, mm. 1989. And uh, yeah, it's, it's bizarre. I think the, the backdrop is kind of so superfluous to what's going on. And the film opens with some context of, you're in Berlin, it's 1989, the wall's about to fall, but this is not that story. And then the entire film has this kind of running, almost like newsreel track in the background that constantly reminds you of what's happening in the kind of wider political sense, hmm. um, I f- which I found very irritating. Um, yeah, I think it's desperately trying to borrow things from elsewhere, whether it's coolness from songs or some sort of context and texture from news. And there's very, it just felt very artificial. Would you like to give us some numbers, Adam? Sure. I'd say three for anticipation. Yeah, mostly just because Charlize Theron is is a fantastic actor and someone who I think since Mad Max Fury Road has has been kind of carving out this niche as a kind of female action heroine. And yeah, exciting to see her in this role and probably a three and a two for my other scores. But then does this just uh, further prove that there are so few good roles out there for, for women wanting to do this kind of thing? I mean, someone like Angelina Jolie tried it a few years ago with things like Salt, yeah. which wasn't, I don't think, particularly good either. And then Wonder and Woman. Is Gal Gadot the reason that Wonder Woman has done 400 no. million? You don't think no. so? She's she's good, but I, think I don't think her alone is... is... I, I think she's better in ways that we don't even notice. Mm. Maybe. I think she appeals in different ways right across the spectrum. I think that's why that film has received so much goodwill because there are major issues with that film, I think. Had that been a a male superhero, I'm not sure it would have charmed its way past uh, people quite so much. But but anyway, that that is equally a story for another day. David? I'd probably say 3-2-2. I was rather nonplussed by it all, to be honest. I'd give it twos across the board and let's move on. Ghost Story, director David Lowry, fresh off the back of making or remaking Pete's Dragon for Disney, then went and without telling anyone really, got together Rooney Mara and Casey Affleck, who he'd worked together on Ain't Them Body Saints, and shot this in the space of I think about two weeks in Texas for about $100,000. It's a remarkable film. It's about a couple, one of whom dies, and a white-sheeted ghost who returns to their suburban home to haunt, essentially, the, the premises. And it's a film entirely like anything else I can think of and, and, and a very bold experiment in many ways. Does this film work? Do you know what? I've, I've had a, a weird relationship with this film since I saw it. It originally screened in Sundance earlier this year to kind of massive plaudits as films that, that screen at Sundance usually receive. And as soon as that happens, I'm, my kind of cynicism barrier goes straight up and I'm sort of like, 
oh, well, I'll reserve my judgment till I've seen it. And I thought Pete's Dragon was quite nice and Ain't Them Body Saints, I didn't really get, to be honest. Um, and so I, I was going to this film with a bit of scepticism. And do you know what? When I saw it, it was a weird experience for me because it was like every single scene, I was with it and then I was against it and I was with it and then I was against it, oscillating constantly. But since, I've read loads of stuff about it since. I've, lots of people have written really nice critiques of it and I, I like it more in my mind now. Right. And, and I do want to see it again. Yeah. I should explain that the reason why this film is so challenging is that in, in plot terms, it really only hinges on one development. Things happen, but there's no narrative structure whatsoever. There's very little editing, you might feel, compared to a normal film. Uh, famously, one sequence goes on for about 10 minutes with one uninterrupted take involving somebody sitting on the floor eating pie for four and a half minutes, which is not something that you expect to see when you sit down in a cinema. And it, I think you're up to right. It takes a while to get your, your head around that. Adam, what, what were your thoughts? I, I had a similar thing to David in that I wasn't really sure how I felt about it at the time and, and where it was kind of leading me. And I think it's, it's one of those films that does stay with you and doesn't necessarily reveal all of its answers straight away. Um, and I actually went, went back and rewatched it um, and kind of took a lot more out of it second time round. I myself would very much like to go back and see it again. I think it's one of those rare films where you almost, a bit like when you go to a gallery and sometimes there's a piece of work that you don't necessarily connect with, but then you read the blurb on the side and and look at the piece and understand what someone's trying to do. I really didn't, to begin with this film, and possibly all the way through, understand what David Larry, I think, is intending and what he's trying to explore. If you had to say to people, first of all, would you say, go and watch this film? Oh, absolutely, yeah. And I mean, what would you tell them before they went and watched it? Firstly, strap yourself in um, for not not a bumpy ride, but an ex- exciting and uh, unique ride. It's almost like the human characters aren't really the central focal point. You know, you have this this character who dies, and then he he returns in in the white sheet, and it deals with this very kind of classical idea of of a haunted house. A ghost is connected to its final abode I guess mm. and you're you're basically experiencing time through the perspective of this ghost and this place and I think what the film does that's really interesting is it almost is like a kind of concertina there are moments like that first shot where like Rooney Mara is lugging a big suitcase and it's kind of embarrassing and it takes a really long time and you're like why are we seeing this and then later on you're kind of Within an edit, you're kind of skipping forward like 10, 15 years or something. You're suddenly seeing the next people who have moved in this house and how the ghost is kind of interacting with them. The tagline to the film is, it's all about time. And that's a bit of a giveaway. In fact, one of the the elements of it that didn't sit very well with me is there is a sequence. Is it the bit where the house is sort of two or three tenants down the road mm. and there's a party happening mm. hipsters there drinking beers and, and sort of waxing existential and i hate that i mean story of my life but then and then you have the musician will oldham aka bonnie prince billy who actually did the soundtrack to pete's dragon um returning and uh delivering this kind of lengthy monologue that 
weirdly everyone around him is in kind of raptures and, and, and by but you're kind of I, I was sort of like ro- rolling my eyes and thinking this is for the people who maybe don't quite get what's happening here we need to fast track some uh, <laughs> some explanation in like stat how can we do it let's just have a kind of a drunk guy like holding forth at a party Interesting. Um, as a piece of writing I think the monologue's really nice mm. but it kind of breaks up the sort of hushed visual tone of the film, yeah. I think, at that point. But again, I'm sort of spent a lot of time thinking about what the hell this film is and what it's doing. And when I, when I came out of it instantly, I I was very like, that was meaningless. I didn't that that had no impact on me. I really? Yeah, I did. I, I I left it quite cold. Yeah, I'm and, quite yeah. disappointed with myself for how much I failed to take out of it the first time. Adam, I think that monologue sequence is is one of the bits that's stood out for me uh, at the time in maybe the wrong way and actually something which I've sort of lingered on a bit more and I guess maybe because there's uh, so little dialogue in the film and aside from the amazing images in the film um, the themes of it are very much left open to your interpretation apart from that one moment where he delivers this monologue and he's kind of laying out what what the film is about and it's about kind of existence and legacy and how you know we're all destined just to kind of the impermanence of things exactly yeah we're just destined to sort of disappear uh, and fade into nothingness and uh, it's quite bleak in a way but I think the film handles some yeah complex ideas in a very simple and, and beautiful way and so often these days films you know they tell you how to feel and they explain things in a very direct way and mm. this is this doesn't do that and it, and it kind of yeah I think Lowry uh, David Lowry shows a lot of restraint and especially initially making it about Rooney Mara's character and how she kind of experiences grief and goes through those those stages to then sort of shift it so far the other way and really hone in on this idea of time and, and time passing mm. that, that feeling of time passing yeah it's quite a brave thing to do I think I mean it's only a 90 minute film but the majority of the film is that it's a pie sequence actually. well yeah I don't know if this sounds like a bit of a cop-out but I'm always loathe to sort of be too down on essentially a kind of big name Hollywood director doing a kind of personal passion project which is completely idiosyncratic and its own thing and, and there there is a kind of like nothing to lose quality to mm. the film which I absolutely respect and I think one of the things that I, I like about it is that for me it didn't sort of fit together it didn't make quite make sense there wasn't a sort of obvious logic to it which i think is that maybe fueled my initial reaction to it in retrospect i'm kind of thinking that i kind of like the fact that he's kind of made his own rules up and he's maybe not told us what those rules are you know there's a, there's a sort of big flashback to the past that's kind of apropos of nothing and at the time i was like well, why why is that happening that doesn't there's no logic in that but actually it's like there is a sort of to hell with logic vibe mm. to the film, which I... You needed Body Prince Billy to ride up at that point. I know, tell you what explain. was going on. So, hey, kids. Did what, you, <laughs> what did you make of the final the final shot? I mean, we shouldn't really say... Well, I won't say no, what I it sh- is. I loved it. It was an f- okay end, way to end the no. film, I thought. I, I, it, it felt like a bit of a... Too neat? Yeah, it felt like it was being trailed too often in okay. the film. The rating system from Little White Lies, mm. the in anticipation during and after. I think never has it been more appropriate than for this film. Adam, what what, what were your thoughts number-wise? Yeah, I went 4-3-5 in my review, which you can read online if you want to uh, hear more of my thoughts on it. Uh, and I think the three is just because it is quite intentionally a film that you're not supposed to kind of form an opinion of in the moment. As I said, I really, really kind of enjoyed it afterwards and... and I've constantly thought about the film afterwards. So I'd go something 
like four two four. Right. So like was was excited for it, saw it and was just a bit like bummed out and then have thought thought further on it and uh I will say that reading other people's takes on the film hmm. has been really interesting in, in that they've all been completely different. There are some people who are writing, a, you know, who are kind of drawing all these kind of literary and uh, visual art comparisons to it. And in terms of sort of critical discourse, it's almost like one of those things that you can just say anything about. You know, it's like it's quite primal in that sense. And I quite like the fact that it's generated quite a lot of different takes on it. It's, it's very what, it's, it's what you bring to it, isn't it? Yeah. Mm. Four, two, five. I'm going to go with the same score as you. I was looking forward to it. At the time, I'm glad I'm not the only thickie who was like, went straight over their heads. But I, I do need to go back and watch it again. And maybe when I watch it again, I still won't get it, but I think I will. I think this is going to be a nice film to watch at home mm. for some reason. It seems, it's a very homely film. It's about like your kind of personal sanctuary, I think. Okay, well, we'll move on then. Because next up, oh my word, David Lowry is going to be here with us discussing Under the Skin. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hey, Film Club. This week, with David Lowry. Now, every week, we take out a classic film, one you may have missed or one that needs reappraising and, and, and dust it off and give it a once-over. We've got the director of A Ghost Story, David Lowry, to select a film for us. This time around, Mr Lowry has done us the honour of nominating uh, Jonathan Glazer's 2013 film Under the Skin, starring, starring Scarlett Johansson. He dropped by a little bit earlier to talk to us about it. We began by asking him what the film is about. You want me to describe the plot of the film? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the uh, Under the Skin is a film from 2014, I believe, about uh, an alien who comes to Earth to hunt humans and in the process finds out what it means to be human. Yeah. Interesting. Is that what it's about? You know, there's there's probably a lot of other things you could ways you could describe it, but I think that ultimately is is what it's about. Okay. Why, why did you pick this? 
I think it's one of you know my favorite films of the past ten years. It's one of the films I most often revisit. I just I find myself compelled to put it on at home. I just really enjoy having it on and seeing that imagery and and I just keep going back to it. Jonathan Glazer's work as a whole is is always consistently fascinating. I mean, we could easily talk for an hour about his film that he made before that, Birth, with Nicole Kidman, which is another absolutely extraordinary film that no one has seen, or not enough people have seen. But Under the Skin is more readily available than Birth is, and it's also, uh, I I know it very, very well at this point. So it's Mm. easier for me to talk about. Are there obvious parallels with your film, uh, Ghost Story? Did it directly, are there any things that you can feel it directly influenced in, in that movie? I don't. I don't think I can like. I couldn't tell say like that it influenced like a shot. You know, I can't mm-hmm. say like, oh, that shot is a, a ripoff of Under the Skin. In fact, my previous film, Pete's Dragon, my Disney movie, has a couple of sequences that are you know ripoffs of Under the Skin. O- oddly enough, like we, I, 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 would, I pulled up that movie a couple times to show the crew and say, here's what we're going for, uh, the opening scene in particular. Oh, I love that. But, that's, like, that's like Project Mayhem style, like sneaking sneaking into a <laughs> massive Disney film. That's great. Um, but with, with the ghost story, the thing that, the, the parallel, I think, is in, you know, when I described Under the Skin a few minutes ago and, and said it's a, about an alien who discovers what it means to be human, that's a relatively, like, simplistic idea. Right. And it's not something we haven't seen in movies before. It's 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 you could even be described as as relatively facile. Like it's it's not like the most complex idea. And yet at the same time the movie's extraordinarily complex mm. in the way that it deals with this very simple idea. And a ghost story, you can distill that down to the idea of it's about uh learning to let go. A very simple concept, something that's very easy to grasp onto. It's almost touchy-feely in its in its uh, you know, its its spiritual qualities, and yet hopefully the movie is deals with that idea in a very complex way. Hmm. And Did, so that's something that I, I feel like there's you know, I, I felt under the skin. Did I love that it took a very simple idea and and dug into it in a very provocative fashion, and it was something I hope to do with the ghost story as well. Right. It's also about rendering the the familiar unfamiliar. Uh, under the skin and, and slightly by adopting an almost voyeuristic viewpoint, which I thought maybe was echoed as well in, in a ghost story in that there is so much of uh, your film in which we're asked to do the work. Basically, we're just left with something and we can get on with it in whichever way we want to. And I think one of the things that happens is that you do then begin to examine everything from this this detached viewpoint. Um Amazing film, though, Under the Skin. What did you, what did you think, Adam? Yeah, I, I actually had seen the film initially uh, kind of around the time it premiered at uh, Venice, I think. Um, so it's sort of before a lot of the buzz had been built around it. And I, I can't think of another film uh, that has been sort of uh, promoted from basically nothing to the status of, like, modern classic in, in a shorter period of time um, as this. I mean... It is it's constantly being. I think we did our own poll uh, of our of our contributors, and it came out number one uh, from the best film of the twenty first century. And um, it seems to be one that people really ho- hold in high regard. And it, so I was fascinated to revisit it because I think initially I was maybe I didn't necessarily love it, um, but yeah, second time round. I mean, I hadn't seen it for I guess what, I have three four years since it came out, hmm. um, and there were so many things about it which just yeah really blew me away. I think it was booed. 
at its it was, premiere. Why, why do you think the reaction, and certainly the box office, was not good for it? Well, it's, why do you think it, it didn't catch on at it, first? It's clearly not intended to be a commercial film, even with a kind of major A-list star in it. Um, and the festival booing, I think that's just a thing that you get out of festivals. It happens. Yeah, yeah. Um, it happens. I, I was at um, a screening of um, The Master uh, at Venice a few years before that, and that, that got kind of booed by some people as well. So, yeah, th- there's so much about this film. Uh, M- Mika Levi's score, especially, is something which, I mean, I, even I hadn't rewatched the film a lot, I've got that um, that soundtrack on vinyl, and I play it quite quite often. Yeah, I know that score as yeah. intimately as I do the movie at this point. It's a really remarkable piece of music. Hmm. And the, again, the score plays such a big part in, in, in a ghost story. Have you ever been booed at a festival, Lou? I don't sit through my own screenings, so I don't know. <laughs> I, could, I very well could have been, uh, but but to the extent of my knowledge, uh, you know, I played at Cannes with a film, and that's like the festival to be booed at right. uh, historically. And and I I was in that screening when the credits hit, and there were no boos. So hopefully, uh, hopefully, that you know, I'm sure it'll happen at some point. <laughs> yeah, well, hope, hopefully so. Um, no, just because often you know that that first that first friction suggests that you're doing something interesting. You mentioned the opening though of uh, Under the Skin, which is which right up there with my favourite ever with uh, a Matter of Life and Death, and, and probably Raiders of the Lost Ark as the great cinematic uh, beginnings. Is there anything you would have done differently if you were going to do a remake of uh, a reboot, perhaps of Under the Skin, Dave? Oh no, goodness! <laughs> I uh, I I would love to. I, I would love for that movie to never be touched. Like I think, I think there's no need to, uh, you know, for me to try to put my stamp on it. Even theoretically, I uh, I just like to sit back and watch it. So what's interesting to me about that opening is that it is showing the genesis of life. It is showing the creation of life in an almost. It's odd how predictable it is with the imagery. Like there's a very phallic image of like some object going into uh, an orifice of some sort. And it's like that's a very obvious, you know, imagery for the creation of life. And yet at the same time, it's so abstract that you almost don't process it as such. And it's not until the second time you see it, you're like, oh, okay, yeah, I see what's going on there. See, I didn't get that at all. I assumed that in as much as that was in any way a a narrative device, that it was representing a journey through space. It's that. And it's also the construction of an eyeball, like on a very basic, you know, like in terms of the images you were being shown, you're seeing a pupil be constructed on a on a very subatomic level in a way, and it it also feels like a journey through space. I, I feel like that 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 phallic image, that tube, reminds me of the the spaceships in David Lynch's Dune that you know traverse time and space. Uh-huh. And uh, and then of course there's the obvious allusions to 2001 as well, the 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 cosmic journey at the end of that film, all crammed into like the first you know minute and a half of, of this movie and it's all done with abstract you know presumably visual effects imagery and and it's unlike it's unlike anything I, as I'm describing it right now it sounds like oh of course that's how you would start this movie and yet at the same time when you're watching it, it you feel like you're being confronted with something you've never seen before mm. and it's very unlike the rest of the film you, you're really good at explaining films I don't know if you're free at all most Wednesdays <laughs> to, to, to pop by all right, well, listen, what are you going to be doing next, David? Well, I just finished a movie that is about as different from a ghost story and under the skin as anything possibly could be. It's called The Old Man, the Gun, and it's a uh, a film starring Robert Redford. Uh, about a true, It's a true story about a 70-year-old bank robber. 
And uh, so we finished shooting that a couple months ago, and I'm editing that right now. And mm. uh, it's really interesting to go back and forth between talking about a ghost story and editing that movie because they're so diametrically opposed to one another. And yet at the same time, there's there's something there at the core that, that feels similar. And I'm excited to find out more of what that is. Wow, looking forward to when, when would that be coming out? Sometime next year, probably probably around this time next year. All right. Well, best, best of luck with that. Thank you very much. And uh, may you continue to evade the booze. I, I, will, I will do my best. All right, excellent. Uh, David, thank you so much for being with us today. I really appreciate it. David Lowry. He was nice, wasn't he, Adam? Yeah, very nice. You weren't here, David Jenkins. He seemed charming. He was saying Birth is really good by Jonathan Glazer with Nicole Kim. And is it really good? Pass. Have you not seen it? <laughs> I have seen it, but I, I, I'm not the biggest fan of it. Not nor under the skin, to be honest. Really? <laughs> Sorry, I, I've given that film a couple of goes, and it's it's just not my you don't not like my anything. thing. No, j- just under the skin. Just under the skin is a film that I think is technically an amazing film, right. but I don't like it. Do you like it Sexy like Beast? Anything. I love Sexy Beast. Right. For me, Sexy Beast is peak Glazer. And no question, the Ray Winston classic from back in the day. Yes. Yeah, and that's such a leap from this film, but you know. Enough of my yakking. What, what do listeners think about this? Uh, so, yes, yeah, so we had some nice listener comments this week uh, on Under the Skin. Uh, Paul McCann tweets in to say, a magnificent adaptation of a single grain of Faber's book, a labour of love worthy of Kubrick. And then Harry Thompson, definitely one of my favourite films, A Trip to the Cinema to See, is still one of my most memorable, visually stunning, a true piece of art with superb performance from Scarlett Johansson. There you go. Robert Farrell, the audience is treated as intelligent and capable of understanding. Well, some of them were, Adam. Some of them. Uh, Tarkovsky would be proud, says Robert Farrell. Not even that scene at the beach with the kid on the beach. Mm. Wow, that's dark, isn't it? That, that is a very distressing scene. It is. All right. Uh, anyway, that was Under the Skin, which was this week's film club. But what... What have you gone with for next week's show? What are we going to be doing for our homework? Well, next week, uh, a film is being released called The, uh, the Dark Tower, uh, which is a Stephen King adaptation. And there's also the remake of It coming out soon as well. Is there? Yes, uh, which hopefully we'll be, we'll be doing on this very show. Um, and in anticipation of those, we have uh, we asked, actually asked our readers and our listeners uh, what their favourite Stephen King adaptations were. Mm. Uh, and we had some usual suspects, uh, not the usual suspects, obviously, <laughs> but we had The Shining and Stand By Me and a few others. But uh, yeah, one, one that kept, yeah, Shawshank as well. Mm. One that kept cropping up was Misery, uh, which is Rob Reiner's uh, film starring James Kahn and Kathy Bates. So I thought that would be an interesting one to go and revisit. It's a film I've not seen for a long, long time. So. Right. You almost died. You have a compound fracture of the tibia in both legs and the fibula in the right leg is fractured too. I'm your number one fan. My name is Annie Wilkes. I guess it was kind of a miracle you finding me. In a way, I was following you. You were following me? Oh, Paul, I've read everything of yours, but the misery novels. You must be a good man. You could never have created such a wondrous, loving creature as Misery Chastain. Very kind. The presumption must now be that Paul Sheldon is dead. You... Dirty bird. How could you? Misery Chastain cannot be dead. Misery spirit is still alive. And don't even think about anybody coming for you, because I never called them. Nobody knows you're here. And you better hope nothing happens to me. Because if I die, you die. What a great shout. Well done, listeners. I'm looking forward to this, David. Yeah, I've never seen the film before. I think had I been part of this... uh, call out I would have picked the film Carrie okay 
which is one of my all-time faves. Well, you know what? Hopefully we'll be doing Film Club for many years to come. Let's pencil in Carrie for 2039. Okay. Yeah. So that's coming up next week in Truth and Movies. Also, there's a lot of interesting films coming out next week, and we're not entirely sure which ones we're going to be looking at, partly because The Dark Tower has been so absolutely hammered uh, by uh, uh, its first critical responses that they may not be doing any more previews. We'll see if we get into that. Um, But there's also The Hitman's Bodyguard, a little bit of buddy movie banter there, and there's also an inconvenient sequel, and there's also Quest and Dark Knight, which is a film kind of inspired by the events in a Colorado theatre, a mass shooting there. Anyway, uh, do let us know your thoughts principally on Misery, because that is one film we will definitely be talking about next time around. Uh, The address of our email is truthandmovies.tco.com london.com on twitter at lw lies or the little white lies magazine facebook page anything else you want to add david adam before we sign off i'd actually like to give a little bit of a shout out to uh, a film season on at the uh, bfi at the moment actually a film that we have discussed in film club uh, that jean-pierre melville's le samurai uh, there's a, there is an entire season of his work. And even though we were a lit, little cool on that film, mm. I think it's a really nice opportunity to see the classics like um, Army of Shadows and Le Cercle Rouge and Flick and uh, um, the Le Duzième Souffle. So, yeah, I would heartily recommend... Seeking Le Duzième Souffle. Le Duzième Souffle. I, I mean, I, should I should I be calling it the Second Breath? Or I mean, <laughs> not Le Duzième Souffle. Le Duzième. Well, can you give me the pr- the correct pronunciation? <laughs> oh, to be fair, I really can't. I'm so sorry. <laughs> I, I I I hate pronunciation mockers. They're they're the, they're they're the lowest form of life. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, uh, Adam. Anything you wanted to throw in? I'm quite excited by uh, the, the trailer which dropped this week for Darren Aronofsky's new film Mother uh, with Jennifer Lawrence and Javier Bardem, um, which I didn't know too much about before the trailer. Have you seen the trailer? I, I haven't you... seen it, but I've seen everyone getting excited by the trailer. Yeah, it looks, it looks strange uh, and it looks like a sort of psychological uh, sort of thriller. So very excited to see that. Um, I think it's going to be at one of the festivals in the it's autumn. The Venice Film Festival. There you go. Right. So hopefully we'll have a, a kind of hot take from it. Uh, from Brilliant. There. Are you going to the Venice Film Festival at all? We will have we will have uh, someone there doing dispatches. People, top, yeah. top yeah. people, our spies. Mm. Excellent. All right. Well, listeners, you know that really is it. So many thanks uh, to Seven Digital. Uh, that's been Truth and Movies, a Little White Lies podcast. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. 
Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.